Section 6 of The Strange Visitation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Strange Visitation by Marie Corelli. Section 6. In a swooning access of speechless terror, he clung to the goblin and was in a vague way comforted when it tucked its hairy arm through his and leered at him quite amicably. "'Don't be nervous, McNason,' it said. "'It's all right. Firebrand always likes the electricity turned on when he preaches. He's the star actor of the piece, you see. The light must show him up more than anyone else. There he is.' Josiah gazed at the green pulpit in quaking awe and aversion as a black figure suddenly sprang up in it like a jack-in-the-box. A tall, lanky, clothes-prop sort of shape, with a head like a large mop, from which the hair, of a fiery red, hung down in disordered tangles. This goblin's best feature consisted in its attire, which was of a double-dyed inkiness, with a wonderfully smooth and silky shine upon it, suggestive of black lead. It was an unfortunate costume, however, so far as concerned its becomingness to the face of its wearer, a face white as a bleached bone, with prominent eyes which appeared to goggle out of their cavernous sockets like pebbles, rolling each on the edge of a hole. And the sable clothing of the creature only intensified the awful pallor of its countenance, and brought out its worst points into the strongest possible relief. McNason had barely time to notice these details, which seemed to be insistently forced upon his attention, when his ears were again assailed by renewed howling and screeching, accompanied by a tremendous sound of drums, as if all the drummers that were ever born were drumming their way through the world. Every goblin had a protuberant paunch, and as the Reverend Mr. Firebrand arose in the pulpit, they all started together, beating a prolonged tattoo upon these appendages to their otherwise skeleton forms. And ever over the frightful noise rang the bells, always the bells, the bells of Christmas, the bells of peace and goodwill. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, ding, dong, ding, dong, swinging and swaying, the echoes rose and fell, and in the midst of the pulsating chimes, the goblins burst into a chorus of wild shouting, Firebrand! <laughs> Good old Firebrand! Order! Order! Silence for Firebrand! <laughs> firebrand! And then, as though they had been all clashed together by one stroke into silence, the bells ceased. The shouting and laughter and paunch drumming of the goblins likewise eddied away into a dull murmur, and the goblin in the green pulpit raised a skeleton hand with the first finger bone elevated as a signal for attention. My friends, it began, my dear brethren, <laughs> and the crowd of uncanny creatures twisted and writhed with ecstasy, tossing their queerly decorated heads about and spreading their wide mouths into elastic grins which seemed to swallow up all the rest of their faces, as if in sympathy with the general hilarity, the Reverend Mr. Firebrand grinned also, a peculiar and very ghastly grin indeed. "'My friends,' 
he or it resumed how good it is for us all to be here what a sign of regeneration <laughs> of penitence <laughs> of unselfishness and charity <laughs> of hope for the future of everything beautiful, pleasant, and truthful. Oh, how good it is to know that we are thus assembled together, and that we have among us a human creature, unlike yet so like ourselves. Oh, my dear friends, lest we forget, let us remember that we were all humans once. All humans, all humbugs, and such respectable humbugs, too. Oh, my friends, let us turn our thoughts back along the tide of time. The tide of time is such a fine expression. And reflect on those days, the days of frock coats and top hats, the days when we were good. <laughs> Screams of laughter echoed through the dim space, where now faintly discernible through a floating red vapor, the trembling Josiah caught sight of the glittering tubes of a great organ, and scarcely had he seen this when, crash, went the keys with a droning and discordant thunder, a hideous black scarecrow of a goblin waving its paws or claws about fantastically began performing on the instrument, whereat all the impish congregation burst out yelling in chorus, when we were good in all the world, none were so good as we. We thought ourselves the only ones whose souls would save and be. When we were good, our neighbors all, we found so very bad that only us and only we some little morals had. When we were good, we went to church that everyone might see how good we were, much better far than other folks could be. We slandered all our dearest friends, told all the lies we could, and chose our own front seats in heaven because we were so good. And now we find that other folks, whom we thought very bad, were better than ourselves at best and all the morals had. And sad to say, we lived to learn that shuffle as we would. No humbug lasts in heaven or hell, not even being good. Renewed yelping and hoorahs of diabolical laughter followed this vocal effort, and the miserable Josiah McNason felt cold trickles of perspiration running down his back as he listened. Yet he could not speak. Speech for the moment was taken from him. He tried to utter some word, some ejaculation, but his tongue was stiffened in his mouth as though it were paralyzed, and he was forced to pay close attention to the Reverend Mr. Firebrand, whether he liked it or not. "'Oh, my friends,' pursued that grim and ghastly preacher, "'how I thank you for that beautiful hymn!' How sweetly it expresses our innermost feelings, does it not, my friends? Oh, yes, indeed it does. And our brother here, our human brother, does it not express his feelings likewise? Yes, oh, yes, indeed it does. <laughs> Shrieked the goblins. Indeed it does. <laughs> 
our human brother went on mr firebrand is a good man a good man because my friends he has made money money is morals morals are money our human brother is a rich man therefore virtuous virtue as you all know consists in being rich vice in being poor our human brother is also a wise man wisdom consists in looking after number one he does that he always done it admirably number one is to him the center of the universe and we sympathize with him do we not my friends oh yes oh yes we do for we also in former days we also looked after number one not one timothy two no no one self one that was our text in life and we acted up to it did we not my friends oh yes we did we did we should not be here now if we had not looked after number one and the wild cry had a dismal note in it this time like the shriek of the wailing wind again my friends went on the goblin firebrand our human brother as a charitable man we all know what charity is do we not oh yes we do charity begins at home charity never gives a penny away unless it can get something for itself out of the bargain charity never subscribes to anything unless it can see its name printed on a subscription list that's charity my friends as we understand it as our human brother understands it the charity which distinguishes us when we like our human brother wore frock coats and top hats on sundays was a charity which suffered nothing and was never kind envied everybody vaunted itself greatly was always puffed up often behaved itself unseemly sought its own was easily provoked thought evil of most things rejoiced in inequity hated the truth bore nothing believed nothing hoped nothing endured nothing this is the charity of human nature material human nature and our human brother is a glorious living example of it soon or oh yes very soon our charitable human brother will give twenty thousand pounds to a hospital how generous how noble oh the poor and sick will benefit but our human brother will not be left out in the cold oh no he will buy a peerage with the money and also with an additional little diplomacy and he will be a lord oh my brethren how great a thing it is to be a lord do we not know this yes indeed indeed we do some of us have been lords and some of us have been commons both sets have their advantages but when one is a lord one can do so much one can become the noble director of bogus companies and pocket a fee for attendance at every meeting and one can owe bills to one's tailor for an indefinite period <laughs> when one can sell oneself and one's nobility to any american female title hunter who will pay sufficient cash down 
Oh, yes, my brethren, it is a great thing to be a lord, and when our human brother is a lord, he will be so proud and glad that he won't know himself. He is a good man now, but when he becomes a peer, he will be a better one. Oh, yes, my friends, the world and human nature generally will find him better, wiser, more generous, more charitable, more everything that is pleasant, beautiful, and truthful. Will it not be so? Yes, indeed it will be so. We know it will be so, for we were all good men. I myself was a good man once. <laughs> and like twisting boughs of trees in a storm, the goblins swayed and rocked themselves to and fro, convulsed with laughter. I say I was a good man, repeated the demon preacher, leaning down over the edge of the green pulpit and rolling its goggle eyes at its audience, particularly at the shuddering McNason. Good in the sense that you and I and our human brother understand goodness. I wore a top hat. <laughs> and a frock coat. <laughs> and I went to church every Sunday. <laughs> and I took round the collection plate. And I always put a sixpence into it myself. Never less, never more. <laughs> Why, any poor man asked me to help him and said he had a large family to keep. I told him he shouldn't have a large family. <laughs> I never sacrificed my own comfort or convenience at any time. On any account, and I never parted with a penny I thought it better to keep. I was a most respectable man. Now, my friends, I will ask you in the spirit of 1 Timothy 2 to consider the interesting subject of my discourse. Our dear human brother, he too is most respectable. He is even more than respectable, for he is a millionaire. And not only a millionaire, but a multi-millionaire. He is all money. Oh, my friends, how good it is to be all money. All money and no heart. Heart is never respectable. It is always a scoundrel. Always trusting the wrong people, loving the worst sinners, and making a fool of itself in business. Oh, yes, my friends, heart is desperately wicked. But our dear human brother has none of it. Let us congratulate him, especially at this time of year, this dreary, melancholy, grumbling time. When all the world's tiresome little children want holiday treats, and all the tradesmen send in their bills, this wretched, stupid, depressing season, when even we are made uncomfortable. And now the goblins beat their paunches desperately, and instead of laughing, began to weep. One cadaverous-looking creature took off its woman's hat, large as an extra-large lampshade, and shed tears into it as though it were a bucket, it sobbed. How I do hate the compliments of the season. I always did. When I was a human, I always had to tip my butler and my coachman on what they called Boxing Day. They expected it. The brutes. Aye, aye. Such bitter, bitter memories. Other wailings and groanings of a similar nature arose in chorus, and even Josiah McNason's own particular companion goblin moaned and blubbered. It is a terrible time, it whimpered, 
A terrible, terrible time. Everybody expects everybody else to give them something. Such a waste and such an expense. Oh, hurroo! Again, Josiah essayed to speak, but his tongue still refused to utter. At this depressing period, went on the ranting firebrand, when stupid humans wished each other to be merry without any cause for merriment, it is a great joy to find so sensible and practical a person as our dear, rich, wise friend, Mr. Millionaire McNason among us. Yes, my brethren, it is a great joy, for he never wished anyone a merry or even a happy time in his life, and quite right too. He never wanted to be merry himself, never felt like it, never looked like it. He is the master of a great business, and has no time for sentiment. Sentiment is an imbecile quality pertaining to girls, women, and fools. And our human brother is not a fool. Oh, dear, no. He is living precisely as he wishes to die. He is making himself into one of us with all possible speed. And how clever that is of him. His only regret is that he will have no use for money when he becomes a member of our United Empire Club. And that to be a lord will give him no extra privileges. Otherwise, he is perfectly satisfied with himself, just as we all used to be perfectly satisfied with ourselves. And are we not satisfied with ourselves still? Oh, yes, my brethren. Oh, yes. We are satisfied because we are compelled to be satisfied. There is no getting out of our condition. We chose it, we made it, and here we are. And in the spirit of one, Timothy too, we exhort our human brother to continue in the self-righteous way he is going. We beseech him never to be merry, never to be kind. We implore him never to either lend or give money to those in need, not even to an old and faithful servant. For old and faithful servants are just as great humbugs as any other class of persons. Moreover, gifts are always resented, and kindness is considered as merely personal advertisements of generosity. Let our human brother always be as he is now, and so shall he reap the just reward of his labors. The just reward! The just reward! Here the bells suddenly began again, pealing their chimes with a delicious softness, as though far, far away. Soon, very soon, continued the firebrand, lifting both its skeleton arms aloft from the enshrouding folds of its black draperies, for our human brother, the joys of money-making will be no more. Soon, very soon, the demands upon his purse will cease, and his weary eyes will close for the last time upon the pleasant sun. Soon, very soon, he will hear no more compliments of the season, nor will he be troubled by the handshake of a friend or the suffering appeal of the sick and needy. Soon, very soon, his ears will be deaf to all entreaties or messages. He will not even hear the message of the bells. The bells! Here the goblins all began to jump and dance up and down, up and down. And turning their hideous faces towards Josiah McNason, they bowed and bobbed before him, shouting and shrieking, The bells! The bells! The message of the bells! 
reiterated the demon orator, waving its bony hands excitedly. Grace, mercy, peace, one Timothy too. Soon, very soon, our dear human brother will be offended by that message no more. Soon, very soon, he will be one of us. With a tremendous effort, Josiah suddenly regained his speech. Never, he cried with extraordinary passion, never will I be one of you. Never, so help me God. As he spoke, a sudden terrific roar of mingled flame and wind sounded in his ears. The peacock's tail of light playing up like foam against the green pulpit leaped to an abnormal height and swallowed up the reverend Mr. Firebrand in a twinkling. Then, spreading itself into a rolling stream of fire, it swept over the crowd of goblins and drove them all helter-skelter before it like dead leaves drifting in a hurricane engulfing them all out of sight save one, the self-styled professor, that still with its bone of an arm thrust familiarly through McNason's, remained beside him, as it were, on guard. The green pulpit vanished, and nothing remained of the whole shadowy building that had seemed to be a church, save the great organ, where now, instead of a goblin, sat a boy acolyte dressed in a little white surplice, under his tender young fingers the notes breathed tremulously but sweetly, and presently he opened his cherub mouth and sang, O oh, be joyful in the Lord, all ye lands! Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with a song! Here the anthem was taken up by some mighty invisible choir. Be ye sure that the Lord he is God, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves! and all at once a white cloud filled the near and distant spaces like the rushing in of a wave, and on this opaque, pearly vapor came floating a great number of dazzling, angelic shapes, wonderfully fair, gloriously beautiful, carrying palms in their uplifted hands and singing, Glory, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill, glory to God. Stricken with a great awe, Josiah McNason looked and listened. He trembled violently. Should he kneel? He wondered. He had often pretended to kneel in church, though he had really only bent his back slightly for convention's sake, but now? Before he could make up his mind, one way or the other, the goblin's clutch descended once more upon his coat collar. Come along, McNason, it whispered. We must go now. We're not wanted here. Come. Oh. "'Leave me alone, for heaven's sake,' murmured Josiah pleadingly. "'Let me stay here. Why, take me away!' "'Why? Because they're beginning to keep Christmas. We don't believe in Christmas, do we? We say, curse Christmas, don't we? Of course we do. Come along. You're not wanted, and I'm not wanted. One Timothy, two. Off we go!' End of section six. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.